Beloved church, it's really good to see you. Grace and mercy from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I've prayed for you for many years for serving, and it's a joy to be standing before you preaching in view of a call. We're thankful for you, the way that you have loved our family and have served us for many years now. And we're thankful for the hospitality, the Texas hospitality that we've received over these last couple of days. We're not surprised by it, but we are grateful for it. And it truly is good to see your faces. And uh, for those of you I've seen, it's been good to see you. For those of you I've not yet seen, but know, I want to see you. And for those of you I, who I don't know yet, and apparently there's been a lot of you that have joined the church over the last few, few years, I'm eager to get to meet you if that's what the Lord wills. When I was a kid, I grew up at a church in North Dallas and sat midway back on the right side. And every day, I, every Sunday, I would sit next to my father as our pastor preached. And I remember being filled with anxiety for him because he had to stand up by himself every week and preach the word. And I remember thinking that that was probably the worst job in the entire world. And I remember thinking as he would conclude his sermon that I was relieved and joy-filled for him that he didn't have to do it again for another week. At that point in my life, I thought that that's all he did was preach once a week. Had I known all the responsibilities that a pastor has, I would have been crushed by the anxiety of that responsibility. The passage that I have chosen today is specific for this morning. And admittedly, it may feel a bit odd for you, the church member, to listen to a pastoral candidate preach a text that is essentially telling himself what to do. But this is intentional. One, it's important for you to see that I understand the responsibility that God has given to, to me as a pastor and to the pastors of this church. Pastors are to preach the word week in and week out. We are to guide the flock. We are to appeal through the word to the congregation each week for you to trust in the things of God. But if I myself do not sit under the authority of the word first, then it's an unhealthy relationship. It's an unhealthy understanding of what God has called me and the pastors of this church to do. So we want to recognize publicly, I want to recognize publicly what the responsibility of a pastor is before you today according to the word of God. Secondly, it's important for you congregation to know what it is that we are to do. Uh, it's important for you to encourage us in this work it's important for you to pray for us in this work and to follow us as we follow Christ imperfectly as we'll see here in this text today. But there should be agreement between me and the pastors of this church and you on what the role and the responsibility of the pastor is. So as we begin this journey together, Lord willing, 
Uh, I want to be crystal clear, and especially as we look at this text today, I want you to know that I am a sinner. I want you to know that I am broken in many ways. I am in desperate need of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ each and every day in my life. I, I rely upon the same Holy Spirit to sanctify me just as you do. I know you know that, but I want to make sure that is established immediately. My responsibility here at the church would be to point you to the Good Shepherd week in and week out as we both rely upon him to save us, the Spirit to sanctify us as we wait for the glorious return of our King. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Peter 5. We're going to be looking at 1 through 4. And I'll just read it for us, if I may. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let me pray for us. Father, as we open up your word, may we see the glory of Christ. May we recognize the responsibilities that elders have no more, no less. It's not the elders' church. It's Christ's church. And we pray in his name. Amen. Now to catch us up, since we're parachuting into 1 Peter today, the first four chapters of 1 Peter describe how God's church lives as strangers and exiles in a difficult time throughout the churches in Asia Minor. They are suffering for the name of Christ, and they are eagerly awaiting his return. So as chapter 5 begins with a so, I exhort the elders among you, the word is critical, that so is critical for us to understand what's going on in the text. Our passage and the, uh, that we're preaching today has some things that precede it. There's a warning that's given to the church that suffering and trials are now at the household of God. And we must consider how we are to bear in suffering during trials. And the exhortation that is given to the elders in this specific passage is to help them to have hope in the return of Christ so that they can be faithful in the midst of trials and tribulation. It's for the elders of the church, but it's for the whole church. It's hope in the midst of difficulty. And I think we would all agree, Christian is in dangerous waters these days. And so a passage like this is important for us to consider. In his word to the elders, Peter provides a framework for shepherding. What it is and what it's not. And that's what we'll look at here today. The world in which we currently live needs shepherds to rise up, to preach the word of God and to hold fast to it. 
to behold the glory of God in the face of Christ as we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Now, these are just mere men, and we'll see that here in the text. But the church needs this today, and we who are pastors must recognize this before the congregation and hold fast to it. There are three facets of the pastorate that I want to examine from this passage with you today. These are not fully exhaustive in regard to the work of pastor, but they frame for the church what the work is for this office. We will look at the calling of the pastor in verse two. That's the first thing. We'll look at the ways of pastoring, which is found in verses two and three. And then we'll look at the, the accountability of the pastor, which is in verse four. But before we get to those three facets, I want to give a word, if I may, in verse 1, to the example of the Apostle Peter who's writing this letter. Notice in verse 1, he seems to stop midway through his thinking. He says, so I exhort the elders among you, and instead of going right into the exhortation, which picks up in verse 3, he pauses and says, as a fellow elder, he kind of gives a brief testimony of his own life. He identifies with these elders as a shared elder, a fellow elder, doing the same work as they are doing. So before he instructs the elders, he identifies with them. Peter does not identify him, himself here as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not identify himself as one of the students that followed Jesus and one of the inner three that was discipled intimately by him with James and John. He doesn't say that he was a witness of the resurrection of Christ. He simply identifies as a fellow elder and one who has witnessed the sufferings of Christ. He saw Christ suffer, rejected by his people, betrayed, and he saw him um, uh, crucified either potentially from a distance. We don't know where he was when he actually was crucified, but we know that he saw the sufferings of Christ. And in fact, Peter himself had gone through sufferings as well. And as he pins this letter to the churches in Asia Minor, he's not that far away from his own martyrdom that would be taking place in Rome. But in the midst of the sufferings in the church, I want us to notice how Peter's hope shines through He's not dwelling in the fact that the church is suffering, but he says that he wants to, he's going to be a partaker in the glory that is to come when Christ is revealed. So not only is he a fellow elder, sharing in the sufferings of Christ, but he's partaking in the glory of Christ upon his return with those elders and the church when Christ appears. Friends, this is a very humble posture from the Apostle Peter. Identifying with these elders of the work that is at hand. He is forging the uh, companionship between suffering and hope in the Christian walk. And he's identifying with them. Look, Peter knows what it's like to flee persecution. Do you remember when he denied Christ three times? Even denouncing him to a girl? He fled. He knows what it is to flee persecution. But at this point in his ministry, after Jesus restored him in John chapter 21, when Jesus says, do you love me and feed my lambs? Do you love me and then tend to my sheep? Do you love me then feed my sheep? He restored Peter to the rightful role of leader in the church. And he had been shepherding well for many years now. 
He's done this faithfully, and he is now at the end of his life, passing on the work of ministry to these elders in this congregation. He's teaching them how to elder as he's eldering them. He's humble, he's gentle, and he's pointing them to Christ. It's a, it's a, it's a glorious, beautiful picture of humility as one who has follows Christ deeply. Peter then picks back up these three pastoral instructions, these facets of the pastoral ministry, and I want to examine those with you now. The first one is this, the call of the pastor. Look with me in verse two. He says, I exhort the elders among you. What specifically uh, are we to do? He, he's calling them to something. That word exhort is to encourage greatly in this call. This is the work that you are to do as a shepherd of the church. He's urging them to do this work. Well, what is the work? It's this, to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Notice this command. I want us to see that this, for Peter, is the essential work of the pastor to shepherd and to exercise oversight, found there in verse two. The word for shepherd is where we get the word pastor, if you didn't know that. Please note that there's three terms used in this passage that are helpful for this one office. We see elders recognized in verse one, and their responsibility is to shepherd and to oversee. These words are used interchangeably. So when he says elder, he's also saying pastor and overseer. These are synonyms with one another. So I might actually use them interchangeably today, if that's okay, since I think Peter gives us uh, permission to do that. But these are synonyms for one another. Elder typically speaks to the spiritual maturity of one who is to oversee the flock, Pastor, shepherd, is describing the function. We are to shepherd the flock of God. An overseer typically speaks to the guardianship or the leadership that the elder has according to God by his grace. Now, whose flock is it? Well, look there in the text with me. Shepherd the flock of God. It is not the flock of a pastor. It does not belong to any man shepherd. The church belongs to the good shepherd. And that is the responsibility that we have as shepherds to always remember that we didn't spill blood for this church. We didn't give atoning work for this church. But we are to point you to the one who did week in and week out as we behold his glory. Have you ever actually seen a shepherd? It's not very impressive. I'm not saying that they're all 5'7", but no shepherd's really that impressive. <laughs> if you go to Israel today, uh, you can still see shepherds on the hillside. Uh, it's like being transported back 2,000 years. Uh, this is not a glorious position in society. Uh, they don't own the sheep that they guard. Uh, it is a blue-collar job. It is not glorious. Uh, the responsibility of the shepherd is treating skin diseases. It's fixing hooves. 
It's fending off wild animals and being knowledgeable of poisonous berries. It's understanding the temperaments of the sheep. It's helping them get to green grass so that they can be fed and helpful water so that they can be nourished. It's to keep them from biting one another. They're to know the paths to travel and the weather patterns that would impact that travel. It's not glorious. It's a hard job that most people don't want. The analogy of the shepherd is quite prevalent throughout the scriptures. When you consider Moses and David who were shepherds, you consider God himself who identifies him as the shepherd of Israel. Jesus in John chapter 10 says he is the good shepherd And just before he ascends to the right hand of the Father, he tells Peter to shepherd his people. It is not by coincidence that God uses the analogy of shepherd, furthered here in 1 Peter 5, to help us understand what the role and responsibility of pastor is. The calling of the pastor is to shepherd the flock of God. Here's a few practical ways that we are to shepherd Shepherds are to feed the sheep. Remember what Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. This is the primary work of the pastor. Pastors are to nourish the sheep by the word of God. Why is this food so important, the word of God? Well, let's see what the word of God says about itself. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, something we are unable to do. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is a qualification for an overseer. He must be able to teach the word of God. Now, there's no other place to find nourishment except from this word. And we cannot veer from this word. And let me just tell you right now and save any suspicion, I actually have nothing to offer you. I I don't. And how's that for a job interview? (laughs) But I'm, I'm serious. I have nothing to offer you except gifts that God has given and the word of God through the spirit of God. We are to nourish you with the word week in and week out for you to savor it and to delight in it and to feast on it that you may know the one whom it testifies to. We must hold to the trustworthy word as taught and give sound instruction to you as it says in Titus 1. This happens in the corporate setting, and this happens in the micro settings, in the office, discipleship, counseling, in your homes. This is the responsibility. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, that we are to guard the doctrine, and we are to guard our lives. And those two things should be in relationship with one another. Shepherding is also protecting. The pastor must be able to protect the sheep from wolves. 
Wolves that come from inside the church, as Acts chapter 20 talks about, and wolves that are outside nipping at the heels of the sheep as they enter the congregation. Shepherds are going to have bite marks on their arms from fending off dangerous wolves. And that's just a part of the responsibility. We must know the false doctrines of the day and to guard you from them. We must lead you to Christ and away from anything that is tempting you in heart, mind, or motive. This is the work of the shepherd to be a protector. We see a glorious picture of this in Psalm 23 as David is describing the way that God protects his people as they walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We will fear no evil. Why? Because his rod and his staff will comfort us. He is with us. Rod fins off wild animals. Crooked shepherd staff pulls sheep away from danger. And we know that the good shepherd does this and those who are under shepherds, mere under shepherds, do the, the very same thing. Shepherds are to lead. We lead by directing the affairs of the church, by teaching and administrating Faithful stewardship of money. We see this in 1 Timothy 5, 17. Lead you to Christ always. God is obsessed with his people knowing the word. We're to lead you to the one it testifies to all the time. We're to bind your wounds with the word. We're to care for you and nourish you. We must be in your lives. We must know what's going on so that we know where to take you. It's a significant responsibility. And we must be knowledgeable according to the word, asking from wisdom from God on how to do that. Shepherds are to know the sheep. Notice what he says here in verse two. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Those who you're with and those from whom you're among. Look, pastors are sheep too. We're no different. We smell like you do, right? This is important for us to remember. We're not to be concerned for the souls of those who are a part of other congregations. Certainly we're concerned generally speaking. But in terms of those that we live amongst, we will give an account for your souls. And I promise you that, that terrifies me and as I know it does those whom shepherd this, this congregation. We are to know the sheep. And by God's grace, he limits us to being able or uh, to only being responsible for the souls of those who are under care in this flock. We live in an interesting time because there is technology and podcasts and TV uh, all at our disposal. And some of the greatest minds in Christian history are living right now and giving us wonderful things to understand about the things of God. And those can be great resources but the man on TV cannot shepherd you because he is not among you. And so that is a responsibility of the overseer. This idea of exercising oversight comes from the word of scope. Uh, or it's where we get the word scope from or to see. We must know the needs of the people and to tend to them, to care for them. Exercising oversight is in the plural, just as all pastor uh, uh, passages in the scriptures are. They're never singular. 
I cannot tell you how encouraging it has been over the last couple of days to hear how your shepherds over the last two years have been shepherding you, and specifically over the last 10 months when there's been an absence in leadership, praying for you and ministering the word of God to you, caring for your needs and loving you. So thankful that God in his wisdom and provision has given shepherds to do work together because no one has perfect insight and wisdom. I, my, my wife, my helpful companion, tells me all the time things that I don't see. It's like, thank you. I would have never considered that. That's the beauty of a plurality. And that's always in sight as we consider these passages. Now, I want us to see in 1 Peter 2, 25, that ultimately it's Jesus who is the shepherd of the church's souls. And we are to help remind each other of that truth. Our shepherding is not equal to the shepherding of the good shepherd. We are to mimic it, but certainly it will not be perfect. There is bad shepherding that exists. If you have time, which we don't in this sermon, but if you have time this afternoon, go read Ezekiel 34, 1 through 10, and it will give a description of what bad shepherding looks like. Shepherds that are only concerned with feeding themselves and not feeding the sheep. We must remember the ways of the good shepherd as we shepherd and give oversight here. Now, the second thing I want us to look at today is the ways of the pastor. Now, there's three described in this text. So it's, it's this, how are we to do the work of shepherding and overseeing? Pastors are to do this willingly. Now, each of them have a positive and each of the positives have a negative. So we're going to look at what it looks like and what it doesn't look like to shepherd. The first one is this, pastors are to do this willingly, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, which is the whole point of Peter's words to the shepherds. This is how you do it according to the way that God would have you do it. Now look first with me at the negative, not under compulsion or under obligation, which means not being forced to do this, not being drafted to do this, but doing this in a voluntary way. Willingly means to desire to volunteer to do this work. We see in 1 uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, that overseers of the church ought to aspire to this office if God gives them the desire to do that. They are to do this in the way that God has called them to do it. And there is no other way. It, it's not driven by duty alone, though. It's also driven by love. He is able to do this work because he loves God and he, he ought to recognize he can do this work because God loved him first. Edmund Clowney, who's a great pastor and a theologian, said, the care of pastors for their flock will be proportional to their care for the Lord. Pastors are to willingly and lovingly lay down their lives for the sheep. Now, under shepherds don't lay down their lives in an intoning fashion but in a caring fashion for the, for the congregation that the, that the Lord has purchased. Now, the end of this pastoral work, this willingness to shepherd is found pointing the sheep to a maturity in Christ. Sheep are to grow. There is something wrong if a baby lamb never grows. 
Paul himself recognized that he planted, Apollo watered, but God must give the growth. But growth is a part of the Christian life. And Paul, the apostle Paul and pastor, labored to this very end. He says in Galatians 4.19, My dear children, from whom again the pains of childbirth uh, in, in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He had the pains of childbirth until he saw the people that he was shepherding formed into the image of Christ. Second Corinthians talks about, when he's talking about all of his suffering, he's talking about the times he's been beaten, uh, he's been stoned, and he says, and my anxiety for the church. It's this desire that he has for the church to grow. He's putting them on the same parallel with one another. In Ephesians chapter four, he says that God has given the shepherds and the teachers to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Why? Until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Verse 15, in the same passage, he says, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So this willingness that we have must be done with a, a purpose in mind as the congregation is growing more and more into the image of Christ. Now, the second thing he mentions, pastors are to do this eagerly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. You see there in verse two. Eagerly simply means this, ready in mind. Remember what Paul said to uh, the Corinthians? Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I am in danger if I do not preach the gospel. That is a ready mind, able to handle in season and out the responsibility of the shepherd. He must be ready to nourish the flock and to care for them. The warning here is the negative. He must do this not motivated by money. Now, we do recognize money as a means to aid ministry. And, and Jesus himself said that the worker is worth his wages, but the motivation must not be money for the pastor. That's where shame enters in, for the love of money has its roots in all sorts of evil. The pastor, the heart of the shepherd is not to, to get, it's to give. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom of, of many, and this is the model that we are to follow. The third thing he mentions here, the ways of the pastor, is pastors are to serve as examples to the flock, not domineering over those in their charge, but as examples. Now, that little phrase, those in your charge, simply means this, those in your portion, those whom you're among. This is where it connects with verse two. Pastors are allotted to Sheep and sheep allotted to pastors. Not for ownership, but for fellowship. This is important to, because the pastor is to serve as an example. Now let me say this. Imperfect example. But an example. That's what Paul says. We follow Christ, so follow us. We are to serve the church in this way. Now, he says here that we are not to dominate you. Remember what he said in verse two, exercising oversight, that is a tender care, a love for the sheep. 
And he's contrasting it here in verse three with those who would dominate you, lord over you, or master you. That is not the way of the shepherd. And it's actually sin that the shepherd is doing that. But we are to care for the congregation, exercising love over you, serving as examples. This means that you should examine a pastor's life and see how he communicates with his wife. You should see how a pastor is raising his children or how he is handling opponents or how he's gracious to the outsider, the tax collector, the prostitute. This is the responsibility of the pastor to model Christ's likeness in all things and hopefully the congregation is encouraged by the way that we live. This is what we're called to. Now, I do want you to hear me. At the end of the day, only Jesus qualifies the elder. The elder is to be blameless, but he is not perfect. We must rest in the work of Christ to do the things that he's called us to do. I so deeply understand Paul's words to the Corinthians when he says, who is sufficient for these things? Christ is sufficient for these things. I promise you, I'm I'm not sufficient for these things apart for anything that God does in and through me. We, We see that it's God who helps us for it is his spirit who makes us elders for the purpose of caring for the flock. That's Acts chapter 20, verse 28. But this is the work that he has called me to as a pastor and to the pastors of this church. Now, ultimately, this is beautiful because it points us directly to the good shepherd. Jesus fulfills all of these ways of the pastor perfectly. He willingly gave himself up. Remember John 10, he says, I lay my life down for the sheep. Nobody, nobody takes it from me. I willingly lay it down, and I have the power to rise it up again. He's eager to do it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, and he serves as an example in the way he washed the disciples' feet and cared for the outcast and those whose society had rejected Christ is the perfect example. Now, the third thing I want us to see here is the accountability of the pastor as we come to the final closing minutes of the sermon. Verse four, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Shepherds who shepherd faithfully will receive a reward. Now, Peter reminds these shepherds of the chief shepherd who will return. Now, it's interesting. As these shepherds and the church are suffering, Peter fixes their gaze on the one who's going to come again, the one who purchased the sheep, the risen Christ who rules at the right hand of the Father. So the future promise of partaking in Christ by sight, not by faith, but by sight when he comes is sustaining faith in the midst of trial, which is hope. It's hope for the church. Now, remember, pastors will give an account for how we shepherd. This is mentioned in Hebrews 13, verse 17. 
But Christ will give an unfading crown of glory to the faithful shepherds. Now, unfading crown here uh, refers to kind of like a wreath. It was an amaranth flower thought to be it of unfading color, pointing to unfading glory that's only found in Christ. Contrasted with the flower that fades and withers that's mentioned in chapter 1, verse 24, pointing to Isaiah 40. He's showing that only Christ gives these things that are everlasting because Christ himself is everlasting. Now hear this. This reward is not based on the pastor's efforts or merit. A pastor ought never to rest in his own work, but to rest in the work that has already been done through the atonement of Christ, his resurrection, his ascension, his return for his flock. That's the hope. And we must be sown to that reality, that truth, as we consider. And we are to think about his appearing in our minds. Martin Luther said the two days we think about are the day he returns and today. Because the day that he returns informs our faith for today on how we're going to live. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 says that all those who love his appearing will receive a crown. It's the hope of the whole church. Their reward is the glory of the Lord, and it's displayed in the church. This is what the shepherds are to treasure, because Christ is the treasure. That's the hope of the church. So we are to point you there, to remind you of him, and to love him ourselves. Revelation 4 describes what, these, what are happens with these crowns as they're given to elders uh, in Revelation chapter 4. They are removed from their head and they are frisbeed, cast at the feet of Christ because of, he gets all the glory. It's not about their work in the end. They're to steward what God has given them. Just a few applications in closing. A few things that I want us to consider today. This is what God has called pastors to do. This is what his word has said for pastors. And if we're going to be a church that believes that the word of God is true and perfect and infallible, we must in our own souls consider what it's saying about the work of the pastor for the sake of the church for the glory of Christ. This is something for us to consider today, the word of God as our authority. I have no authority. You don't have authority except for the word of God that gives us instruction for the roles that we carry out in the congregation. To the non-Christian who is here, and I would assume in a room this large there are non-Christians here, I want you to know that there is a good shepherd. In John chapter 10, it says that the good shepherd says that my sheep hear my voice and they come to me. And it's amazing, the practice of shepherding, that sheep just leave what they're doing and they go to the shepherd's voice to whom they belong. That means they change trajectory. They, they, they leave the direction they're going and they head a completely different direction, and that direction is to the shepherd. For the sheep that don't know the shepherd, that means you turn from the way that you live, 
and you recognize that you're a sinner and that you can't save yourself and you recognize the brokenness in your life and that you recognize, as it says in the same passage in John chapter 10, that this good shepherd who calls you to himself is the one that laid down his life for you that you might live. If you don't know this shepherd, I would appeal to you today to know the good shepherd. You can go looking for truth anywhere in this world, and I'm telling you right now, you cannot find it except in him. Here in a few minutes, we're going to have some pastors down here as we conclude the service with song. And if you have questions about that, we would love to talk to you. To the church, what do we do until the good shepherd returns for us? Well, we have some responsibilities. First, the application is for me and for the pastors that serve here. So I'm just going to talk to myself for a second in front of my friends and those who also shepherd. The pastor must be willing and eager to do this work. Congregation, I want you to know that I am willing and eager to do this work if you would have me. I'd be willing to lay down my life for the sake of you and for the sake of the glory of God. And I know these shepherds that shepherd here would say the very same thing as they have proven it amongst you. They've cared for you. I'm to prepare God's word for you as a meal that is meant to nourish you, serve you week in and week out. The two primary functions of the pastor are best seen in Acts chapter 6. We are to serve the church, the word of God, and we are to pray for you. And there's a lot that happens in between, but those are the two primary things. Know the word, know the God of the word, and prepare the word for the people and to pray for you that you would know God to care for the congregation as Christ has cared for us, that you would know his love and that you would be comforted in your hurts, you would be exhorted to believe in the things that you cannot see right now and that you would learn to hope in the midst of trials and tribulation until we're all formed into the image of Christ. And then lastly, we have a responsibility as shepherds to point you to the one who is returning. We are to point you to the one who came, who was promised in Genesis 3.15 and fulfilled through prophecy. His name is Jesus. He came, he bought the church, formed the church with his own words. He's making the church uh, mature and he's preparing the church for his return. And we're to point you to that day all the time. Application for the congregation. This is a word for you. Would you please hold me and your pastors accountable to this role? We're not to lord over you this responsibility. We're to hear from you as well. Examine us as we examine you. Hold us to this word. Would you please pray for us? Would, would you, if I were to step into this role, would you please pray for me? that I would, would do it willingly and eagerly always, that I would be humble, never considering myself as the one who purchased the church. Would you pray for, for protection for our other pastors and for our families as we do this work? Thirdly, would you encourage us in this endeavor? It's, it's a hard endeavor. It's... 
It's laborious and it's not glorious. Would you encourage us in this? And would you trust God as we shepherd you through his word? Look, sometimes congregations go where they don't want to go. And sometimes shepherds lead where they don't want to lead. But we both must sit under the authority of God's word as it's changing us and transforming us and maturing us in the days ahead. We're going to keep the word central and the glorious Christ of the word central before you. So would you consider these things today? Would you consider these things before you in the role of the pastor? I assure you it, I've taken my own soul to task. Even before I applied for this, I really counted the cost of what the Lord asks of his shepherds as he leads, as a shepherd leads. I'm thankful for how the spirit of God has encouraged me in that process. So, in closing, let me just pray for us and ask that the Spirit of God through the Word of God would do its work in our hearts. And then we'll respond in worship. Father, this is your church. Your son has cared for her for a long time. And Father, we believe that your son will continue to care for her as we know ultimately the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. But God, we need your help. We rely upon your spirit. We're thankful for the Christ. And Father, we're praying for faith both uh, for the shepherds and for the congregation, Lord, as we are the flock of the beloved Son. For those who do not know the good shepherd, Father, I pray that you would work in their hearts this morning. Would you draw them to the voice of Jesus, that they may know him and the grace that he offers. Father, we pray this in his